Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Like Bob on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Live. Here's another update on the Supreme Court today. The United States Supreme Court heard oral arguments uh, from a challenge by two Christian families in the state of Maine to a Maine tuition assistance program that excludes Christian schools. No, it includes other private schools, but if it's a Christian school, eh, eh, nope, it is not included. So um, some families, at least uh, two Christian families in Maine, uh, sued the state of Maine. It has wound its way through the courts and uh, made its way to the Supreme Court today. Quote, The nine justices heard an appeal today by the families of a lower court ruling rejecting their claim that the main program singles them out for religious discrimination and violation of the U.S. Constitution, including its First Amendment protection of the free exercise of religion. Um, once again, these are oral arguments. The decision will not be handed down until late spring, possibly even the summer. But another case that would impact the entire country and all 50 states in the United States as to whether religious schools can be exempted from state tuition programs. So a very, very important precedent case heard before the Supreme Court today. And then there's this. If you were listening earlier, I just made kind of a casual statement that the Biden administration may possibly be the most um, um, disregarding of law, uh, disrespectful of law, administration, certainly in in modern history. Uh, we have seen court case after court case after court case go against the Biden administration on COVID vaccine mandates. And now there is this. Uh, back on September 30th, President Joe Biden signed uh, H.R. What is it? Doesn't make a whole lot of difference. H.R. five three zero five. He signed it into law. It was called the Extending Government Funding and Delivering Emergency Assistance Act. Yeah. H.R. five three zero five, the Extending Government Funding and Delivering Emergency Assistance Act, and one of the stipulations of this law. That was signed into law by President Biden was the Biden administration had until November 29th to report to Congress on the details 
of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. What did it cost? Who was evacuated? Who was left behind? Uh, What are the plans for getting the people that are still stuck in the country out? And uh, again, Joe Biden signed it into law on September 30th. The deadline, November 29th, to give a full accounting to the Congress of the United States about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Well, November 29th has come and gone. How much has the Biden administration reported to Congress concerning this law? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. A senior lawmaker on the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee told news media that they have not received any information from the government as of Monday of this week, which is one week past the deadline. So the Biden administration has violated a law that they signed into law. Uh, Part of it was a complete report on who was and who was not vetted as to the people who were um, evacuated. Um, According to the Department of Homeland Security, 82,000 people were evacuated from Afghanistan. 4,920 were U.S. citizens. 3,280 were lawful permanent residents. And the remaining 73,800 or 90% of all of the people evacuated were Afghan nationals. And we now know that the overwhelming majority of them were not vetted at all. Their background wasn't checked. They came into the country. 78,000. And we know very little about them. Uh, What will Congress do about this? Well, the Democrats are in control, so probably nothing. Mm. Uh, And then there is this. I realize I'm jumping around, but I wanted to get to this because I think it's very important. A brand new major study indicates that Half of people who drink alcohol, half of people who drink think they are fit to drive when they are not. A large study was done, people drinking wine or beer. We're not talking the heavy stuff. We're talking wine or beer. And in the study, they were told, You need to stop drinking when you feel that you are close to the legal limit for driving. Then stop. Well, they drank wine or beer, and when they thought that they were getting close to the legal limit but had not passed over it, they were still okay to drive. Over half were wrong. They were legally drunk, and they didn't realize it. And I think possibly the um, most important 
aspect of this study, quote, the researchers found that the more drunk they were, the worse participants were at judging their blood alcohol level. Well, that would certainly make sense. Um, Over half thought they were fine. I'm fine. I can drive. Over half of them were wrong. They were legally drunk. Um, This time of year, drunk driving explodes. Please, folks. Um, You know what my position is on alcohol. I make no apologies for it, but I'm not trying to push it down anybody's throat. And I honestly don't judge people who disagree with me. The consumption of alcohol is becoming more and more and more accepted, even in the evangelical community, which is a huge change in the last 30 years. I mean, it's huge. 30 years ago, if you were an evangelical You didn't drink. Period. End of story. My goodness, that has changed. Um, And I personally find that very troubling. But, again, I realize that possibly the majority of you would disagree with me on this. So if you disagree and you do drink, please, please, please don't drive. Even small amounts of alcohol can cloud your ability to drive properly. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Quick break. We'll be back. Follow Bob on Twitter at twitter.com slash Live. Hardly anything surprises any of us anymore. But this op-ed piece out of the New York Times is, is just sick. And it's very near and dear to my heart because it's about adoption. Um, Most of you know that Joy and I have three children, all of them adopted. And uh, adoption has unique challenges. There is no doubt about it. Adoption has unique challenges. Um. Sometimes it's very hard for the parents and the children. But death is better. Abortion is better. It is better to kill a child than to put them up for adoption. Well, that is exactly what this op-ed piece in the New York Times, uh, I think I said L.A. Times, it's the New York Times, forgive me, This op-ed piece by Elizabeth Spears, she is a Democratic digital strategist, and she is adopted. 
And yet she makes the point. It is far better to kill the babies than to adopt them. I won't be able to read a whole lot of it because I'll run out of time, but listen to this. She begins her op-ed piece by saying, On Wednesday, as the Supreme Court heard oral arguments from state attorneys seeking to uphold Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, Justice Amy Coney Barrett kept getting at one question. Why was abortion necessary when women who do not want to be mothers can simply give their babies up for adoption? As an adoptee myself, I was floored by Justice Barrett's assumption that adoption is an accessible and desirable alternative for women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant. She may not realize it, but what she is suggesting is that women don't need access to abortion because they can simply go do a thing that is infinitely more difficult, expensive, dangerous, and potentially traumatic than terminating a pregnancy during its early stages. That's how she begins this. Adoption, as compared to abortion, now please remember, Abortion is the killing of an unborn innocent child. She says that adoption is, and I'm quoting, more difficult, expensive, dangerous, and potentially traumatic than terminating a pregnancy during its early stages. Then she goes on. As an adoptive mother herself, Justice Barrett should have some inkling of the complexities of adoption and the toll it can inflict on children as well as the birth mothers. But she speaks as if adoption is some kind of idyllic fairy tale. My own adoption actually was what many would consider idyllic. I was raised by two adoptive parents, Alice and Terry, from the time I was an infant, and grew up in a home where I knew every day that I was loved. That's what she says! She says, I was adopted by loving parents. They loved me. I grew up in a home where every single day I knew I was loved and I knew that I was accepted. She says that, and then she goes on and makes the argument. However, if my mother really didn't want to put me up for adoption, it would have been better if I had been killed. How do you become this warped? How do you become this sick in your thinking? Now, later on, she says that in her her teenage years, she found her biological mother. And she has a good relationship now with her biological mother. And her biological mother said, you know, it was really hard to give you up for adoption. Okay... So, here is a columnist for the New York Times saying, I was adopted by loving parents. They accepted me. They loved me. I had a wonderful childhood. I have a wonderful life. I am now writing columns for the New York Times. But it might have been better if I had been killed. What? This is the rationale 
of the progressive left in defending abortion is so incredibly weird, bizarre, and even and even cruel. And she is just hammering Amy Coney Barrett, the Supreme Court justice, who said, and she didn't. If you read the statement from Justice Barrett, she didn't say it was idyllic. Idyllic. She didn't say it was without problems. Adoption. She was just saying it's an alternative. Rather than choosing to kill the child, one of the alternatives you have is adoption. This whacked out woman ends her editorial by saying this. What Justice Barrett and others are suggesting women do in lieu of abortion is not a small thing. It is life-changing, irrevocable, and not to be taken lightly. Is that not true about abortion as well? She is saying that adoption is life-changing, irrevocable, and not to be taken lightly. Neither is abortion. With adoption, you have a child who is alive. Problems difficult is yes, of course. But there is life. With abortion, there is no life. I find Elizabeth Spires or Spears, it's S-P-I-E-R-S, a democratic digital strategist to be absolutely sick and depraved. This is the liberal left and their view of life. If it's inconvenient, kill it. Wow. All right, we'll be back. 